Amen. Can we show our appreciation to our musicians, our worship team? They always do such a great job of leading us in, in Christ-exalting worship. And again, happy Mother's Day to all of our moms. Again, we extend gratitude to you. I know I'm thankful for my mom. This pastor wouldn't be standing right here as a pastor, I don't think, if it wasn't for a Jesus-loving, praying, faithfully praying mom in my life who didn't give up on me. Hey, and I, she had her hands full with me. I'm what, I was what they called a strong-willed child, you know what I mean? But she and my dad, they were committed to raising us according to God's Word. They were committed to being our parents first and not our friends first so that we could be friends later on in life, like now. And so I'm, I appreciate that. Sometimes that called for some tough love, you know what I mean? They loved us tenderly when they needed to love us tenderly and loved us with some tough love when they needed to love us with that kind of love, even though I didn't like it, even though I didn't like the rules, right? There were times where I was mad, a little kid mad, didn't like the rules, right? Where I about had my mind up to pack my little Mickey Mouse suitcase up and hit the road and run away. But I never had the guts to do that. It reminds me of a little boy who was riding around in circles and circles and circles close to his house and... Uh, he was he was upset and riding in circles, and a policeman uh, in the neighborhood recognized him, and he saw him, and he rode over there, and he said, Hey, Ma- Matthew, what in the world are you doing? And he wiped tears away. He said, I'm running away from home. And the officer said, You haven't even, you haven't even crossed the street yet. He said, Yeah, my mom won't let me cross the street. <laughs> that was me. All right? But I look back, and I so appreciate my mom. I'm grateful for uh, my wife, the mother of, of my three kids, and she's such a tremendous blessing to our home and today's about celebrating our moms we extend gratitude to you but i also want to extend sympathy to those who maybe you lost a mom this last year Uh, maybe you're a mom who lost a child uh, this last year or in the past and today is a difficult day i want to extend compassion to those who long to be moms but for some reason god hasn't answered that uh, prayer request in your life yet and you, you don't know why um, and the enemy may have worked overtime trying to get you to stay home today. But I want you to know I'm glad you're here. Amen. And that your church family is praying for you. And that God sees you. And we're going to pray for God to do a work that only he can do. And that God will make a way for you to be a mom. I also want to extend admiration to a moms like a Sunday Goodnight who shared just a few moments ago. Who have been called by God and answered that call to be foster or adoptive moms. What a special picture of the gospel that God... It's created there in your home and in your family. We admire that and we appreciate that. And thank you, Sunday, for sharing this morning. I believe God may have planted some seeds and done some work there in some of your hearts about how you'll be involved in that type of ministry in the future. But again, thank you to all our, our moms. Church family, can we just once again let all of our moms know how much we appreciate them? And in honor of our moms, we're going to take a one-week break. Uh, from our Ephesians study, and we're going to be in the book of Exodus this morning. So go to Exodus. shouldn't take you long to get there. Second book in the Bible, Exodus chapter 2. We're going to be learning this morning from the life of a godly lady in Scripture who also happens to be a mother, and it's a lady by the name of Jochebed. Jochebed. Now, you may be wondering, who in the world is Jochebed? You could, have, so you could have picked a lot of different ladies in Scripture that we could have studied their life that we're more familiar with. I mean, I think of Esther, you know, Rahab. You can think of even Mary, the mother of Jesus. Who in the world is Jochebed? Well, you may not have heard of Jochebed, but you certainly, most definitely, probably have heard of her son. His name is Moses. But what we're going to learn is this morning is that we don't have the wonderful story of Moses, and we don't have the story of his life and all that it points to. And the way God used him without an in, the influence of an ordinary, obscure, godly mom in his life named Jacob. 
Now, guys, you may already be catching on. This is Mother's Day. We're selecting a lady in Scripture to study her life. This isn't your, this isn't your cue to kind of go off on a little mental vacation and pick back up with us at the invitation, all right? There's something here in this passage for all of us. So stand with your Bibles open. I'll read Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. Uh, She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds in the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. That's Jochebed. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and it became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Would you have a seat as I pray? God, we thank you for your word. We know that your word tells us and communicates to us the truth that the grass around us withers and the flower fades, but your word stands forever. So God, I pray that you would wash us. In your everlasting word today, convict us through it, change us by it, consume our hearts with a passion to learn the truth within it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we're going to learn a lot from the life of Moses' mom, Jochebed, this morning. We know that that's her name from a genealogy list in Genesis chapter 6. But that uh, little genealogy list, along with this passage right here, and then along with one single verse in Hebrews chapter 11, that's, that's all we know about her. All right, that's all we know about her, but it's enough to know that she made a big difference in the kingdom of God for the glory of God as she lived out her small chapter of her life that was part, what we'll see this morning, of a grand, greater, redemptive story that God's authoring in this world. Now, in the social media world, there's something called a mom influencer. I'm, I understand that that's out there. I don't know a whole lot about it, but evidently there's these, these accounts with millions of people that follow them and their moms are called mom influencers and they post pictures and give advice and a lot of people follow them and they seem to have a lot of influence in the social media world. But what I want you to know this morning, uh, and it's something that this humble lady's life reminds us of this morning, is you don't have to have a million Instagram followers, followers to make the kind of difference that matters in your home, in this world, for the glory of Christ, the kind of influence that will outlive you. That's not just true for moms today. That's true for anyone here who is a Christ follower. That's a, this is going to be a word for everybody. But let's examine the life of Jochebed and learn what it means to be disciples of influence in this world. First, let's notice together, the difficult circumstances of this gospel mom influencer. The difficult circumstances of this gospel mom influencer. Now, if this story's new to you, you may be genuinely, like, if you're new to church, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to this story, you might be genuinely confused and sincerely concerned this morning. Why is this woman putting a baby in a basket, putting the basket in a river, and why is this pastor telling me right now this is an example of a good mother? You may be genuinely confused. Like, do we need to make some phone calls? Like this afternoon, if you were riding down Argyle Forest Boulevard 
and you were riding by one of those big ponds and you saw a lady putting a baby in a basket and putting that basket out into that pond, you probably wouldn't think, now there's an example of a really great mom. You would think someone call 911 quick and save that baby. All right, out of the gate, you may be wondering why Jochebed right here would be considered a great example of a godly person. But perspective changes everything. In Exodus, in, in Exodus chapter 1, it helps us understand what's happening in Exodus chapter 2. Context is really important when you study God's Word. Uh, now, keep in mind, the, books of, the book of Exodus picks up the very beginning with verse 1 in chapter 1, three or 400 years after Genesis ends. So there's a gap, there's a time gap between where Genesis ends and where Exodus picks up. Genesis ends, and the scene is set in Egypt... But it's with the story of Joseph. Many of you are familiar with the story of Joseph, a young man, loved by his father, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery by his mean, wicked brothers. And he ends up in Egypt as a slave, but God there exalts him. And he, it's just a miraculous story about how he climbs the ladder and goes from an imprisoned slave in Egypt to second in command and in power in Egypt. God uses his leadership to save a whole lot of people through a lot of wisdom and saving grain and saving people from the famine. He also uses Joseph to save his own family. And his family comes to Egypt, and Joseph ends up forgiving the family. He moves his little family into Egypt, a family that will grow into what we call the nation of Israel. And that's where Genesis ends. But you open Exodus, and for three or four hundred years have passed by, and it's a much different scene. It's a much darker scene. Joseph's been dead for a long, long time, and the nation of Israel has no favor at this point with the Egyptian government. And a big reason is because they've grown into a really, really big nation. Some scholars think uh, a, million, uh, a million and a half people uh, are in the population of the nation of Israel. And so that, that Egyptian government, as they grew, began to feel threatened and insecure. And so in order to control them, they enslaved them. And then you get into chapter 1 of Exodus, and we meet an evil king of Egypt, Pharaoh, who divides is his own wicked plan to slow down their growth and influence, which involves him passing a law for the genocide of all Hebrew male babies. All right, and more than likely, at times they would have probably held these big uh, organized searches and search parties through the Israelite slave quarters looking for Hebrew male boys, looking for Hebrew baby boys to kill, to throw into the Nile. Now, with that in mind, can you imagine the terror and the fear that struck the heart of this Israelite woman named Jochebed and her husband Amram as she realizes she just gave birth to a little boy? What are we going to do with this little boy? Now, what I want to time out and recognize here is she finds herself in a very difficult situation, does she not? She finds herself stuck in difficult circumstances that she can't control. Think about how helpless she has to feel as a young Hebrew slave mother... She can't free her people. She can't change the king's mind when it comes to that edict. She's just a slave. But what we're reminded of when we look at God's word is that her story is not unique among the other stories throughout the word of God. We see men and women over and over again put by the sovereign hand of God in very unfavorable circumstances. And yet it's very unfavorable. It's very difficult. And yet God's called them in those difficult circumstances to make the critical choice to obey him, to trust him, to worship him through those storms, through this set of difficult circumstances. Some of you this morning find yourself in the middle of a difficult circumstance. Circumstances that you wish were different. Jochebed wishes her circumstances were different. Circumstances that are out of your control. Jacobed's circumstances were out of her control. Maybe right now, this is hitting home with you, you've been dealt in life a, a, a hand of bad circumstances. 
Maybe it's a health crisis. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it's financial difficulty. Maybe it's relational strife. Maybe it's difficulty related to motherhood in some way. Maybe it's the loss of a child. Maybe it's the loss of a mother. Maybe it's the pain of not being able to have children. Maybe it's having a son or daughter who wants nothing to do with God and maybe wants nothing to do with you and you don't know why. And you don't know how to fix it. It feels out of your control. Maybe it's just the difficult circumstances of some of the young moms and moms with little kids or teenagers who just feel the weight of trying to raise kids in the difficult circumstances of this world that's fallen and broken and messed up and secular. And I'm not just talking to to moms this morning and I'm not just talking to parents this morning. I'm talking about anyone who has their own set of individual challenges and their set of difficult circumstances that you're facing today. What we can learn from a story like Jochebed this morning as we study her story, what it teaches us is our difficult circumstances, whenever they come into our lives, and they will as a human being, they can either serve as an excuse to build up resentment towards God, as an excuse to build up bitterness just towards life in general. They can serve as an excuse to retreat spiritually from God and His mission and rebellion. Or my difficult circumstances can serve as a stage on which God does some of his greatest work in and through my life. As I choose in the midst of my circumstances, in the midst of my difficult circumstances that I can't change, as I choose to move forward and draw near to him and trust him and obey him and serve him and worship him and wait on him and praise him and walk out the kind of faith and courage we see in Jochebed's life in the midst of my difficult circumstances. Which brings us to the second thing that we see as we examine her life. We see the godly character of a gospel mom influencer in the midst of her difficult circumstances. In verse 2, it says that she, this is the immediate you know, instinct of most parents, right? Normal thinking parents is to protect her child. So she immediately jumps in and begins to protect her baby boy, realizing the danger that he's in. And then in verse 3, it says, when she could hide him no longer. All right, so evidently, you know, time's going by. That little baby's about three months old. What happens when they get around that? They're starting to discover their voice. They're getting a little more noisy, getting a little more active. Some of you young parents, you know, you're there. You realize that. And so knowing that, you know, that's happening and knowing that those, those king, the king's search party is going to be coming through periodically, she knows she's got to do something. So she gets a basket, and we just read the plan that she executes, right? But notice that the basket... When she grabs that basket, notice it gives you a detail there. It says that she places it among the reeds in the river. Now, this is interesting. I grew up, I remember learning this story like on the flannel graph board, right? When I was growing up like in Sunday school and children's church. I remember hearing this story growing up. And I always just had the picture of Moses' mom taking that basket, putting him in it, and just kind of launching him down the river and saying, I hope that somebody, I hope the right person finds him. But based on that detail right there, she places him in the reeds. She's probably, because that basket would have been stuck in those reeds. And that's probably why they're giving us that detail. It's showing us that she took that basket, placed it in the reeds as some kind of like almost floatable crib so that he would be out of earshot by day from those search parties and so that he would be close enough for her to go down when it's safe to take him and to nurture him and to feed him and take care of him. So she's still trying to hide him. And Miriam, the... Her, her daughter, who is Moses' older sister, it sounds like she's put her at a post to keep an eye on him, right? It says in verse 4, she stood at a distance to know what would be done to him, right? So, uh, you know, Miriam's probably six to eight years old. She's not going to draw a lot of suspicion down there by that riverbank. She's keeping an eye on things. This is a tense situation. 
right? And, and the tension rises, you can only imagine, when one day Miriam, who's keeping watch, comes back and says, Mom, Mama, they, somebody, somebody found him. And then for her next to realize, well, who found him? Pharaoh's daughter found him. Can you imagine how tense that got in that moment until her next words, oh, by the way, the princess wants to adopt him and she needs somebody to nurse him and I've worked out a little deal with her to where you're going to be able to do that and be paid for it. And all of a sudden, you're beginning to see there's a God at work here. Our God, our sovereign God, His masterful plan is coming together. She wasn't able to hide Him forever, but what we're seeing right here is God stepping in and doing what it says in Proverbs 21, 1, that only He can do to where He holds the... It says He holds the hearts of kings in His hands and turns them as He wills. And so here we see Him turning the heart of a wicked king's daughter to have compassion for this little Hebrew boy. Why? Because He's got a great plan and a great purpose for this little boy. And part of that plan involves here at the beginning of his life having a godly mom who exhibits godly character in really difficult circumstances in a way that's going to make an eternal impact on the lives of people around her, including this little baby boy. And there are two character traits that you see her demonstrating and living out. You see in action. And the first thing is this. You see that she's a woman of great faith. Now, this is implicit in the text. What that means is it doesn't say explicitly in Exodus 2 that she's a great woman of faith. But when you go over into the New Testament, you see her mentioned in one verse in Hebrews chapter 11. It's always important to interpret the Old Testament with the New Testament. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, you see that she's hatching this whole plan by faith. It says this, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And it says by faith there that she's executing this plan. She, by, she's, she's walking by faith and not by sight in the middle of really difficult circumstances. It, it's really easy to walk by sight when you're surrounded with difficult circumstances, is it not? I mean, things look really, really bad for her. Talk about sight. Things do not look good. But she chooses to not sit around and to look at her bad circumstances and dwell on the worst case scenario. Instead, she chooses to believe in the goodness of God. She chooses to focus on, uh, focus on the goodness of God and she chooses to focus with wisdom on what she can control and then just leave the rest to the hands of a sovereign God. That's the kind of faith. You see her operating with that kind of faith. You know, Hebrews 11 calls her a woman of faith. But then in verse 1 of that same chapter, it defines for us the kind of faith that she possesses. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 1, it defines faith like this. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. She possesses the kind of faith that says, God, hey, I don't see, I do not see with my physical eyes where you're going with this. I do not understand how, I don't even understand how this could be even part of your plan. God, I'm I'm tempted right here to have a lot of doubts. Lord, I'm tempted right here to to feel a lot of despair even. I feel the pressure to compromise. I feel the the pressure and the temptation to just kind of get swallowed up, to ball up and get swallowed up by anxiety about all this. But I'm choosing in the midst of these difficult circumstances to trust you and to serve you and to wake up every day and to do what I can control and to trust you with the rest. That's the faith that she possesses. I don't have any idea how you're going to work all this out, but I trust you. I got faith in you. The biblical faith that she's operating in is a faith that's not rooted in circumstances, but in the God who's greater than those circumstances. It's faith that's choosing to trust, here it is, in the character and nature of God more than in the nature of my circumstances. 
She has a heart filled with that kind of genuine faith. And what it does is it fuels boldness and courage for the Lord. You want boldness? You want courage to stand with conviction and to live a life of courage for the glory of God? It starts with possessing that kind of faith. And we see next that she has great courage, not just great faith. She's a woman of great courage. Where do we see that? In Hebrews 11, verse 23, again, that parallel passage and text, it says, she wasn't afraid of the king's edict. Her faith in the goodness of God and in the power of God and in the sovereign wisdom of God produced a courage in her life. It, it gave her courage to see her circumstances for what they were, temporary. Her faith in the goodness of God and the sovereign goodness of God gave her faith to see that king in Egypt for what he was, just a mere man. And it led her to take courageous, bold action and to go through with what's a very dangerous plan right here in protecting this baby and breaking his the, the, the law of the king of Egypt. And even the courageous faith at, at, the, at the later in this passage to take the baby back to Pharaoh or take to the Pharaoh's palace. Think about that. She's demonstrating courageous faith that's rooted in great faith in a great God. And what I want us to focus on this morning, because there's so much here that we could talk about, what I want us to recognize is how that great faith and how that great courage that you see God producing and working through her life, I want us to notice the impact that that has on the people's life around her. Think about her kids. There's a great parenting principles right here. Think about her daughter Miriam. Think about the initiative that the daughter takes in verses 4 through 9. She's just a child. And she's got the boldness to walk up to the princess of a wicked king and say, Hey, I know you just found this baby. Uh, you know, you're probably going to need someone to nurse that baby. I can help you with that. Where do you think she got that kind of boldness from? Where do you think she got that kind of courage from? Where she'd seen it demonstrated in her home, in the life of her mom and dad, and now she's operating in faith and in courage in her own life. This is a great picture of, of reproduction discipleship right here. You, you see this also in the life of Moses. If you move down in Hebrews chapter 11, what you find is you see a little bit of Moses' mama in Moses. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. It says, By faith, Moses, when he has grown up, when he was grown up, refused to... Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of, of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. That sound familiar to you? Like, keep in mind that what we're reading about Jochebed, because you may be going, wait, he was in the palace and she took him back when he was like three. So how did she, did he see her? Did he know her? All we know is what we're reading about Jochebed right here was written by Moses himself. He's the author of Exodus. So at some point he became well acquainted with his mom to the point where he understood how she faithfully served the Lord, how she sacrificially served the Lord, how she feared God instead of man. He understands the story of how his life was saved because of the courageous action of his mom. And it stuck with him. It influenced his life. I know this is conjecture, but I can only imagine that later on in the life of Moses, if you're familiar with his life, when he stands in front of another body of water in a difficult circumstance... When he stands in front of the Red Sea, I can only imagine that there was a moment there where he, when he doesn't know what to do, when he remembers in that moment that every breath of oxygen he took is because he had a mom who believed God and feared God more than she feared man. Her example has a lasting impact on his life. So let me ask you this morning, can your kids see that kind of courageous faith in your life? Is it visible? 
Can your grandkids see that kind of faith in your life? Not just in word, but in action. Can they sense that there is true, sincere gospel transformation happening in your heart that's pouring out into different places in your life? This isn't just for parents. Can your coworkers see it in you? Can your friends see it in you? As a Christian, they don't need to just hear it. They got to see it. They need to see it worked out in our marriages. They need to see it in how we handle our finances, how we handle our jobs, how we treat people, how you forgive people, how you practically pursue holiness in your life, how you talk to people about the gospel, how you handle adversity, how you invest your time and energy, and also how we handle our sins and handle our mistakes. My kids need to see me and hear me own my sin. That's that's just as important when I get it right by the power of God working in my life and the transformative power of the gospel at work in my life. As important as that is, it's just as important when I fail to make sure I own that and point them to the truth. Like I had to do this past week. that Your daddy is weak and your daddy is a sinner saved by grace and I'm not perfect and all I can do is point you to a Savior who is. Who can be what I can't be. And again, that's not just something that we need to put on display for our kids. It's something that we need to walk out even in front of anybody who we have been placed in the midst of to have influence over for the kingdom of God. In other words, people in our life need to see more than just Sunday morning only faith. They need to see more than that on display in our life. And, and when we do, isn't it exciting to know that God uses our life like He used the life of Jochebed to make a tremendous impact on the lives of people around us that God's placed around us? And see, the truth of the matter is this morning, we don't know who our kids or who our grandkids or any of the people that we have influence over at school or work or anywhere else, who they're going to be and how God's going to use their life. Jochebed and her husband, they, they, I believe they knew something. There was something special about Moses and the way they talk about him as a fine child. If you look into the, if you do a word study on that word there in Exodus chapter 2, also the way that he's talked about and the way they see him in Hebrews, they knew something was up, but there's nothing to indicate that they had any idea as far as fully understanding what laid in his future. All we do know is this, as we look back on this story, is that what seems like a meaningless blip of a life of two Hebrew slave parents there in Egypt in the slave quarters, Jacobet and Amram, what seems like just a little meaningless blip on the timeline of human history was actually a significant chapter in God's greater redemptive story in this world. And as a Christ follower, I want to remind you this morning that your life, that the chapter that God's called you to live out is connected to something, listen, way bigger than you. Way bigger than yourself. So let's finally, just for the last couple minutes, look at the small but significant chapter of a gospel mom influencer. Because as we zoom out of her life, we see how Jochebed's life is actually connected to a bigger story that God's authoring for His glory. Think about, think about who Moses grew up to be. She didn't know all that Moses would do. And yet, this is, the man, this is the baby boy who will grow up to be the man that God will raise up. The one she cared for. The one she spiritually invested in. He's going to be the one that God will raise up to lead that big old nation out of slavery, physical bondage in Egypt. He'll be the one whose life right there with King David will be one of the most... Clear shadows of the cross and of the Savior who will come. The greater deliverer who will come. The greater Exodus story to come. His life, he'll grow up living a life in God's word, documented for all of eternity in God's word as a life that pointed the world to 
the star of the whole story, and that's Jesus Christ, who thousands of years later will be born in Bethlehem in a manger to a mom married, hey, who also faced her difficult circumstances, didn't she? Who also had a death sentence hanging over the life of her little baby boy by a wicked king, but who also demonstrated great faith and courage to protect her baby, who was God in flesh, Jesus Christ, who grew up to live the life we can't live, to die the death on the cross that we deserve to die, to rise from the dead, not to just free us from physical bondage, that's what Moses did, but to free us from the ultimate thing we need to be free from, and that's spiritual slavery. Our slavery in our sin, and to free us from the oppression of not just some knuckle-headed pharaoh from thousands of years ago, but from our enemy in this world, our greatest enemy, and that's Satan, the devil. Think about Moses' entire life. It all points to one greater than himself, to the King of glory, Jesus Christ. In other words, as great as a leader as Moses was, his life served a much greater purpose than himself. As great of a, behind that, as great of a mom as, as Jochebed was, her life served a greater purpose than herself. And as Christians, all of our lives are connected to something bigger than us. And our lives, listen, live for Christ in this world, have ripple effects that extend beyond just our life. We, don't, we can't know how those, that influence and how far out those ripple effects will go. But isn't it exciting to know that we're part of something like that? Parents here today, as you live out your faith and you walk in gospel courage and work out the gospel in noticeable ways in the life of your kids, look at me, look at me. You're living out a chapter that's connected to a bigger story for the glory of God. You're part of something really big. And it's not just raising, it's not just that you're part of something to where you may raise a kid who will, will be raised and will have the type of global historical influence like Moses will one day. It's not about raising a child that, that'll be as important in the world as Moses is. No, it's raising kids by the, by the grace of God for the glory of God who with their life can point to the important God that Moses made his life about. That's what it's about. God's given us, us the, the glorious divine task of in our chapter that He's allowed us to live in to live out the gospel in such a way that will have impact on those who are around us so that their lives will impact the lives of other people around them. And their lives will impact the lives of others around them and around them and around them and the ripple effects go out. We don't know what that looks like exactly. All we know is we've been given a little chapter to live that's connected to a bigger story. You say, well, I hear what you're saying, Pastor, but I, you know, you're making that sound kind of special and I don't feel very special. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, maybe you're a mom, young mom and you feel like you're hanging on by a thread and you're like, I, don't, I feel like I'm, my, my whole thing, it, it's messy and I, I sometimes, I don't, I, most of the time I feel like a failure as a mom. I mean, I love Jesus, but I'm not sure God could use somebody like me. Maybe you are in another uh, role in life. I'm not just talking about moms this morning and you feel the same way. You think, is there any way God could use my life in a way that can have influence for His glory? Yes. As you choose not to let your circumstance dominate your life. This goes for anybody in Christ. And as you choose to walk in the courageous faith and courage we see in Jacobet. As you model that. You have no idea how God can use your life in your chapter for His glory.
Bill Eliff is a pastor and an author who wrote a book called The Present Centered Church. And at the end of the book, he tells a story that I want to read to you because I think it reminds us how our lives, how our chapters are part of a bigger story. He says this. He says, My great-grandmother was a simple farm wife. She and her young husband left eastern Tennessee in the 1800s to build a home in the Oklahoma Territory. Life was very hard, and my great-grandmother became deathly ill at a young age. She pled with her husband not to let her die in this wild territory. So he sold the farm and they boarded a train in Fort Smith, Arkansas to head home to Tennessee. They changed trains in Little Rock and as soon as they did that, they realized that she wasn't going to last much longer. They laid her out on a train seat and she called her husband to her side. He knelt beside her. She was a follower of Christ, but her husband was an unbeliever. She said, I want you to promise me two things. One, that you'll give your life to Christ and two, that you'll raise our daughter for Christ. And then she died. My great-grandfather's testimony was that he stayed on his knees a long time on that train, and he got up a believer. He went home, buried his wife, and with his infant daughter in his arms, he stood at the front of their small church and confessed his newfound faith in Christ. He later married a Christian woman, and they had several children. One was my grandfather, who became a pastor. My grandfather had a boy and a girl. The boy was my father, became a pastor too. Dad and mom had four children. The three boys are all pastors. My sister married a pastor, and the four of us have 18 children. At this point, 13 are either pastors or missionaries, married to a pastor or missionary, or preparing for ministry. All of this came from one woman who experienced God's presence and helped her husband come to know the Christ that she loved. My great-grandmother, he writes, probably died thinking her life a failure. That she couldn't even lead her own husband to faith in Christ. That the presence of God through her life changed all of that. And only eternity will record the legacy she left for the glory of Christ. Think about that. That lady like Jochebed died probably thinking her life was a failure. And yet the truth is generations have been impacted for eternity because of how she faithfully lived out her small but significant chapter that was part of a bigger chapter. In yours, sir, ma'am, look at me this morning. Your chapter matters. Your chapter in Christ is part of a bigger story. Hey, what you're living out for Christ, it's bigger than you. So to the young mom with little ones this morning, to the mom with older ones this morning, make much of Jesus in your home. Make much of Jesus in your life. Your chapter matters. Your faith is making a difference for the glory of God. A difference of which you may never know the extent of. And to any Christian, to the young dad, to the single person, to the teenager, to the person who's retired, to the grandparent, whoever you are, whatever circumstances your life is in right now, if you're in Christ, your chapter matters. Make much of Jesus in it. Demonstrate faith and courage. Walk out the gospel with the life that God's given you, knowing that your chapter is part of a bigger story. It's His story. It's all about Him. So make your life all about the star of the story that by His grace has brought you into it. You have a chapter to live out and your chapter matters. Your chapter is significant. Your chapter is part of a bigger story. It's Jesus' story. He's the star of the story. And so it would help us to focus our hearts at the end of the service on Him. Let's pray.